Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. Welcome again to Homeschooling Helps. I am Andrea Schwartz, and the nice lady to my side here is Nancy Wilk. Hello, Nancy. Hello, Andrea. It's good to see you again. I missed you last week. That's true. We took a break. I had some family things I got to do, and Nancy went to a conference, but we will save all that for another broadcast, because today we're talking about entrepreneurship. Now, I imagine there was a time where people knew what that word meant. Today, um, unless you you know watch Shark Tank on cable, uh, I think Shark Tank helped bring back the idea of entrepreneurship and simply stated, because you are one, Nancy, how would you define entrepreneurship? Oh, wow. I would say that entrepreneurship is the, um, the willingness to take the risk and pursuing those things that God has for us without being an employee. We're looking to be an employer, start our our own businesses, and help others do the same thing. Okay. Good definition. We'll see if our guest, Tim Yarbrough, who will be with us shortly, agrees that that's a good definition of entrepreneurship. And the reason he is with us today has to do with the fact that over the past three decades at least, I think, he has been very involved, not only in being an entrepreneur himself, but helping other people get started in that capacity. So he will be joining us. And there you go. Hi, Tim. Howdy. Howdy. You can tell he, like Nancy, is from that southern part of the country. That's why we got a howdy. That's right. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about yourself and expand on that resume I so briefly gave. Well, uh, I am now 61 years old. Uh, I have been an entrepreneur since the age of 12. At the age of 12, out in rural Alabama, I began my first business, which was lawn mowing. uh, And I had a push mower. My furthest client was three miles away. And we had no, the way you got it there was you pushed it. Uh, However, at the age of 12, I started making money and I discovered something. I liked it. And uh, so I have uh, with each of our children, all of my children are entrepreneurs. Uh, They all grew up uh, raised in an entrepreneurial home and encouraged to entrepreneurialism. And now all of my grandchildren are involved in entrepreneurship. And that uh, the use of money uh, and the making of money was intended by God to serve some extremely marvelous purposes in terms of the kingdom of God. And that <clears throat> while the Lord indeed does warn us about the deceitfulness of riches and so forth, he does also give instructions that if he grants wealth to us in terms of economics, that we are to be ready to do good works. Uh, and so uh, in the scriptures, there are two, uh, you know, two primary uh purposes are are two directions that God gives for granting people wealth. One 
is that he has those stewards that he gave two talents and five talents and they proved to be faithful stewards and he blesses them with even more because they understand they're stewards and not owners. But the scripture also says that God grants certain prosperity to others because the prosperity of the fool becomes their destruction. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in terms of the Christian uh, being an entrepreneur, I would, uh, you know, my definition is that we worked with over the years in our uh, apprenticeship program and mentoring program has been that entrepreneurship is the application of character capital to God's created resources for the purpose of magnifying his honor on his earth and to grow in influence for his kingdom. Okay. So just to clarify, you're not saying that if somebody works for someone else, that that is ungodly in terms of their responsibilities and their obligations under God's law. You're saying if you're going to be an entrepreneur, then you're going to hire people who will work for you. So it's not that one is better than the other. They're just different. Oh, absolutely. There are people that God has designed to be Joseph's who he gives tremendous wisdom to, and uh, they are incredibly talented and their purpose in God's economy is to bless even the unrighteous uh, because of their own faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, if you are in a position where you can work with uh, fellow believers, excuse me, That comes through on my computer and my my uh, phone. No problem. Uh, but um, you know the the reason that I have been such a uh, a proponent of entrepreneurship is because the hardest sell in Christianity is responsibility. Entrepreneurship ups the ante in that game, and it and it does so with immediate feedback. It does so with. Uh, tremendous responsibilities oftentimes that does in God's economy as an employer, I am responsible to do more than by the state in terms of those that work with me. So uh, it's a, it is an incredibly wonderful way to embrace responsibility. And then God will be so faithful to ensure that you always have a constant stream of problems by which you get to analyze the scripture. And God will give his people wisdom. In fact, he tells us that he will do so abundantly. And we need wisdom to solve problems, not to live a life without issues. And um, it is that wisdom in the entrepreneurial realm, uh, coupled with understanding that makes us productive people that can be very beneficial to our communities. Well, very good. Thank you. Now, the topic for today was particularly billed as, so you're interested in your children becoming entrepreneurs. Where do you start? I imagine there are a lot of homeschool families who they themselves have never ventured into the arena of entrepreneurship do you have to be an entrepreneur for your children to go in that direction? No, in fact, uh, it, it is not true that people who don't own their own business aren't entrepreneurs. Uh, entrepreneurship is the application of character capital to the resources that God gives you. Uh, 
where he places you in the exercise of those responsibilities may be unique. Uh, as a parent, my encouragement is over the years, I grew up uh, on a farm in the South and uh, I actually live eight miles from where I was born and raised. So, uh, you know, the, this nut didn't fall far from the tree. And, uh, but the one thing that I would encourage parents to start out with when your children are somewhere between one and two, is to begin at that point in time to use work as a reward of responsibility. Oftentimes in our culture, we will do very silly things and we will use work as a punishment for our children. And in doing so, what we do is take away from them the tremendous joy of being productive human beings. And if our children are raised with an understanding, because the scriptures put it like this, if Tim Yarbrough is given two talents and he faithfully applies his stewardship to those talents, God's response to that is to increase his responsibility. It's a reward to be granted the opportunity to labor and to work. So in our homes with our children, if we could put and, and incentivize them the way Jesus Christ incentivizes us, like uh, people uh, say, you know, we should do it from the purest of motives. Uh, but the scripture says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. God understands exactly how he made us. He, in, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, we use the term uh, incentive. Uh, so does God. And uh, the, the Lord uh, if we can learn how to reflect that incentivization within our home, what happens is, is that our children, by the time they reach the age of seven or eight, mom is delivered to being a director of things happening in the home and not being a, uh, a slave to what must be done within the home because she's got all these little entrepreneurs have developed the character capital essential to make them productive entrepreneurs within the economy of the home. Well, what you're saying is re remarkably relevant. I do a lot of counseling for young moms and oftentimes they struggle because their little ones are running the home. Uh, he or she is bored, so they have to stop doing what they're doing. I love the concept of redefining a reward in biblical terms. It's not if you do what I've asked you to do, you'll get a piece of candy, is if you do what I've asked you to do, I'll let you learn how to do your own laundry. Oh, absolutely. And, and when those things are esteemed, a lot, a lot of times as, uh, as parents, what happens, we will complain about our employer, we will complain about perhaps if we run our own businesses, we will complain about the contracts and all that, without realizing how sinful that conduct is. When we go through the scriptures, God's view of murmuring and complaining is pretty negative. Uh, and we, we are taught in the word of God, uh, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We don't have to doubt that when these problems come and these things come as, as parents, as uh, husbands and wives, uh, that we can say to our children, this is awesome. God has sent this problem to us. Now, I may not know what the word of God says about how to solve that problem, 
but I know this, I can ask God because he said, if I lacked wisdom and I asked him, he would give it to me. Oftentimes I find that direct from the scriptures. Oftentimes I find that uh, because God taught us that a companion of wise men will be wise. If I don't know, I have this circle of, of people and I reach out to them and say, I'm trying to solve this problem. God was so pleased to send me. And I'm not sure exactly how I am to, to do this. And I'm, I'm seeking counsel from you. And if our children see this model and that rather than being dejected and depressed, that we just embrace that this is God's path for us, uh, then what happens is, is that we continue to build the most fundamental capital in the world. And that is character capital. All capital begins there. And uh, Dr. Rush Dooney, in fact, uh, was very instrumental in uh, helping me work out a chart that I, I did uh, many years ago. Um, and I realized that all capital was character capital. And this in our children is what we're seeking to do first is to build that character capital. Because you take a person uh, in our, 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 our culture. And if you don't have character capital, all you have is economic capital that that society will decapitalize. There's no question in God's economy that's going to happen. Right. But if a person has character capital, then you can take everything away from them and they'll be just like Job because they have the foundation that's essential. You may have to take away houses and lands and dollar bills but the character that God gives to an individual, you cannot take that away from them. So they have the, the wonderful beginning of this foundation that can be expressive of the kingdom of God again. And you can't deplete that when it comes from the hand of God. It's all, I mean, it's just a wonderful concept in the scripture. Absolutely. Now, we talked about homeschooling and getting young people started. Well, there's this young lady who's also joining us today, Nancy, who has benefited from your entrepreneurial mentorship because she and her husband, um, many decades into life, decided they wanted to venture into it. So Nancy, how has this shift of opportunity that you have, how has that changed the way you look at your family and other people and how you serve the kingdom of God. Well, um, one thing, Andrea, when we started homeschooling our children uh, almost, well, 35 years ago, I didn't know how to do that. But I did recognize that this was something that God, God had called us to do. So we just proceeded in obedience. I feel like the same thing happened when the Lord gave us opportunity um, as we began to understand our stewardship responsibilities, that it was more than just writing a church check and that it's about, it is about the talent that he's given us the opportunity that he's given us our voice, our, um, the resources. And um, so um, when the Lord gave us opportunity to, to, to really put our time and attention to the things that we value most, that was one of the things that he did. We we wanted to um, to move in. I had always wanted to have our own business, and Tim has been generous enough with his time and and wisdom to share that with us. But it kind of feels like homeschooling for grownups, if you will. 
We didn't know how to do it. We had never done it before, but we had enough of a confidence that this was a direction that God was calling our family um, very uh, distinctively to be willing to go forward in obedience. And we do see that the Lord has blessed us, given us lots of opportunity. And again, we do appreciate Tim's assistance in those things. A lot of it is just redefining. Like I wouldn't have said necessarily that entrepreneurship was about um, character capital, but just just because of the the um, terms that we're accustomed to dealing with, but I do see that that is a necessary component. So, Tim, you mentioned that everybody's an entrepreneur in some way, shape, or form. Would you say when people venture into the area of homeschooling, they are by all means acting as entrepreneurs? Was that for Nancy or me? No, that was for you. Oh, well, uh, that's a mixed bag, actually, in my experience. Uh, I, I think it can be entrepreneurial in the sense of, uh, people who have purpose in in making that selection. Uh, when we started out, I have to say that I'm not so sure that would have been accurate because we started out from the standpoint of what we did not want. Uh, we we did not know at that time what the word of God required us to desire in terms of education. So for us, we were kind of like on the fly, uh, learning on the fly. But it is true that uh, a family that ventures into that field, if they embrace it for the purpose of influencing their communities for the, the kingdom of God, and they're very purposeful about it, uh, they will be entrepreneurs. There is no doubt because what they're doing is, see, we oftentimes when we think of economics or we think of those kinds of things, we forget that influence is also a tremendous economic power. Yeah. And as Christians, uh, we should desire to have influence above uh, economic wealth because that wealth will display itself into a culture that reflects the values that God has given us. Right. You know, when I was growing up, I don't even know if they have them anymore, but they used to have home economics courses. And these home economics courses were for the young ladies. And people just took that to mean, especially with the rise of the feminist movement, women aren't capable of doing things. So the ones who aren't very smart, they should take the home economics courses. Well, I can tell you, if there's a deficiency that I had to overcome running a household is that I didn't take those home economics classes. So there was a lot of things I couldn't do. And I wasn't able without a lot of help to figure out how to run a family. And how sad it is that we miss the major emphasis on the family as the central base. And if women don't know how to appropriate the ideas of good business practices, like the Proverbs 31 woman demonstrates, that they're more likely to want to leave the home and look for validation someplace else when the Bible puts it right in the home. Well, there's, there's this wonderful book I read by a historian and a feminist uh, that is incredibly insightful. And it's called Only a Housewife, The Rise and Fall of Domesticity in America. And this woman does an incredible analysis. I think the children of the world here had better insight than the children of light. And 
she does this wonderful analysis that women have gained all of these different components in terms of social uh, status, jobs, et cetera, et cetera, which is fine uh, in its own uh, way as God has been pleased to do that. But yet they seem to have lost honor in the culture. And she came to conclude that the major premise behind that was the difference in the religion of our day and the religion of the 16th and 17th century where women were honored because so many people were encapsulated with a biblical worldview. And I, I, I see it all the time, uh, even in the workplace, uh, you know, with the people that I uh, deal with, you have two, two camps that I see that are pretty extreme. Uh, one is the only place where a woman is in the, the kitchen, you know, the house. And the other is uh, the extreme of rejecting that altogether. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, just the, the career minded uh, uh, woman. When in the scriptures, if we look, I, I often uh, carry people over to Abigail. And her husband was a very foolish man who was about to get the whole household whacked. And um, so what this woman did, you see, she commands servants with this incredible amount of capital. And the right. servants never went to the husband and asked him whether or not they should be doing this, which indicates that they were accustomed to this woman controlling significant amounts of capital. And, and so in, and, and she didn't seem to be disturbed by the fact that she was controlling. She, in fact, it seemed very normal to her. Uh, and you look at this, uh, and, and for instance, Lydia, the seller of purple, uh, you have this lady Dorcas, uh, what a magnificent use of economics in terms of her influence in the community. Aquila and Priscilla, uh, you, you look at these people and they're marvelous. It's interesting that with Aquila and Priscilla and their tent making business and they employed Paul and they helped him. And then you find this couple, interestingly enough, going into a synagogue and they rescue this guy named Apollos and bring him into their home. And the scripture says, and they taught him the way more perfectly. Uh, I mean, there are just so many things, so many skewered things we have about uh, the role of women, but it is also true at the same time that it's essential for a, a mom to govern or despot the home is the word that's used in Timothy. She used to be the despot of the home. I've been married 41 years. I can tell you that's the way it works. <laughs> but it's a delightful thing when we look at that in terms of this woman and her skills. Uh, what an incredible array of skills that was developed and any, any wise man and his wife will seek to develop the skills and the gifts that God has given him to the widest possible application between themselves and thereby set an example before their children. Uh, we, one of the things that I try to encourage, like we, we do here in our area, we have quite a number of entrepreneurs that own their own business. In fact, uh, Miss Nancy got to meet a number of them uh, this past week. And, uh, and so, uh, we, we encourage you, help your children start figuring out how to go to work by the age of 12. Uh, they should have ever growing responsibilities. If your children, if you have a number of children, 
And by the time they're 10 years old or 11 years old, mom is still having to do the housework. You're doing something wrong. Uh, now, if you only have one or two children, there's still the way, you know, mom ought to be in the position of delegating and the children ought to be responding joyfully to this, this wonderful application of uh, being productive. And, well, there's and, another element here, if I might interject. Sure. Um, the commandment that says, remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. People like to focus on the rest, but they forget that six days you're supposed to work. And I often encourage mothers, especially who are struggling with overload, and instead of being a Proverbs 31 woman, they're much more like a Proverbs 31 slave, which the Bible doesn't talk about the woman of the house being a slave. But you have to give your children work. Otherwise, they won't enjoy God's rest. And so I liked how you said, you know, somewhere between the ages of one and two, that your children get put to work. So that by the time they're 12, they're saying, hmm, I've acquired a lot of skills and let me see and recognize a need in the greater society that I can fill with my skills. Would you say that's the natural progression? Oh, absolutely. Uh, our children ought to be matured in their thinking and mature in their character development by the time they're 12 years old. Yeah. Uh, there is a, I, I think there's a great, uh, if, if I may, here in the entrepreneurial realm and building this environment within our homes, uh, I, I have this thing uh, that I do. Uh, you know, when we think of Proverbs 31, we always think of the Proverbs 31 woman. But in the Bible, if you look at it, I have this thing I do call the Proverbs 31 man. And uh, it, it is an incredibly important concept. Uh, the first thing mentioned that you see of this man, it says that the heart of her husband does safely trust in her. and He has no need of spoil. And trust is an issue that is developed. A wise couple will develop trust. You take trust out of any relationship, whether it's in a home, a business. It doesn't matter. What happens is the cost of maintenance goes up and everybody starts trying to cover their own territory as opposed to when you have trust that has a very definite purpose of unity. And if you're going to build a home, which is an entrepreneurial activity, uh, you must have trust. Well, uh, those who have been around me long uh, know that I'm like a broken record about a working definition of trust. And almost everybody that's been around me for any given time uh, will repeat it, if for no other reason than to keep me from doing it for them. Uh, and, and we have this working definition we now taught for 28 years. Uh, we, it's revolutionized our business. In fact, just this morning, we eliminated a potential contract because of this definition. Uh, and the definition, and we teach this to our children. We taught it to, uh, we're teaching it to our grandchildren now. And we, we define it like this. Trust is future expectations based upon past performance. Jesus Christ put it like this. He that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And so what typically happens in this, and, and we, we have these conversations with our children because this is the key to their relationship development over the years. If they are faithful to this working definition, they will have far fewer betrayals. But here's what we normally do in our relationships. Uh, and, and again, this is the economy of relationships. And uh, what happens is we meet someone, we give them our trust, then they treat it as cheaply as we gave it away. 
And then we get upset with them because they did that. And, and the reality is we got we gave away our trust. They figured out the value on it. They treated it as cheaply as we gave it away. Then we get upset with them because they're the only ones that figured out in the system what the value of it was. And here's what the Lord does. He, he teaches us. He says, uh, Tim Yarbrough, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken foot or, or foot out of joint in a broken tooth. So we analyze that confidence or trust in an unfaithful man. How did you know he's unfaithful? Past performance. Because you're making this decision when he, you know he's unfaithful, but let's up the ante in a time of trouble. So we get this squeeze from life. We have this unfaithful person who is available. So we decide to repose confidence in him. And God says to me, oh, bro, you go ahead and do that. What you should expect for is pain. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough is that's exactly what's occurred every time I've done that. Um, because what I was hoping for was not biblical application of God's word. What I was hoping for was magic. I wanted to <laughs> different tomorrow morning. I was practicing magic. Uh, I wanted it to be different tomorrow than I knew that it had historically been for seven years. And then another one, uh, God says, is and, and we have these conversations with our children and our grandchildren. And we say to them, are you teaching me to trust you or not to trust you? And they have to answer that. They're not allowed not to answer that. And I can tell you that over time, this consistent conversation has a very definite impact on how they deal with you, how they respond to you. Uh, the other one that the Lord says is uh, smoke in the eyes and vinegar to the teeth. So is the slothful man to them that's sending. So the question is, how did you know he was a slothful man? Past performance. And so you expect something different from him tomorrow than it has historically been. And, uh, and God says, well, sure, go ahead and do that. But if you do expect it to be irritant, like smoke in your eyes or vinegar on your teeth. And so what happens is we violate God's provisions on that. Even within our own home, with our own children, we do it. And then when it's painful or irritating, we blame them. When God told us ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. Right. You know, so uh, as an employer, this concept revolutionized uh, one of our businesses. We, we went from uh, just a, a couple of million dollars a year uh, business to right at 10 using this concept uh, with all of our, our all of our uh, new people that we hired. Um, and we would have this conversation with them and it's very uncomfortable with people, even though we all know it's true. Right. I have shared that story with people for all these years and I, I can not tell you how many candles I've watched just go off burning because we know it's true. It's exactly what happens. Right. And um, so uh, with our children, if our children can be taught, for instance, that as Christians, I have the duty. It is not wise for a person who just meets me to trust me. That is not wise. I don't have a past performance with them. So they don't know what the future expectations ought to be. So if I say, uh, Mr. Swartz, I, I understand this and I am willing to earn your trust. And I would appreciate it if you would hold me accountable to earning your trust because I know that the past performance I created is going to build the future expectations that you will have of me. 
Now, if we can teach this to our children, we have entrepreneurs par excellence in the growing. Right. So, well, sorry we have to wrap that. this up pretty soon, but let me just ask one question. Sure. All right. Because um, this has very much to do with the underpinnings of what we're all about, right? What about a person who has been untrustworthy in the past? Can that person ever regain trust? What's the path? Like if you have a child who disappointed you, although you had evidence that it was going to be that way, and that child changes, well, changes don't happen overnight. What's the process of restoring trust? Well, that is a good question because I think it also plays out within how we handle things within the uh, church world, the Christian community at large, is because oftentimes you will have someone who says, uh, I repent. And what they want is they want you to practice magic again. <laughs> they want you to not have the discernment to say, okay, Tim, you need to build a different past to demonstrate the fruit of genuine godly sorrow in order that you can change the expectations that people will have of you of the future. And, uh, you know, looking people in the eye and telling them that it's the truth. We all know it's the truth. And uh, then if they get upset because you're not willing to practice a different faith than that which God has given us. So with our children, we have to say to them, look, God's pattern demands that you build a different past in order to change future expectations. It's true to my grandchildren. I say I was a liar uh, that I deceived. I did those things. I disobeyed my parents. Uh, however, God changed me. And the evidence of that change is that the things I used to do, I don't do anymore. And then, uh, like one time, one of my grandsons, uh, we were, I said, well, you know, he, he, uh, he showed that his, 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 uh, um, ancestry goes back as far as Adam, uh, in a particular circumstance. And so I said to him, uh, are you teaching me to trust you or not trust you? And he said, grandpa, you, you can't trust that. I said, that's right. And I said, well, why did you do what you did? And he leaned his head over on me and he says, Grandpa, I just don't know. And mm -hmm. I said, well, would you like to know that your testimony is very similar to the testimony of the Apostle Paul? And so I got to go to Romans 7 and say, look, this is what, what the struggle is. It's real. But this is where we must learn how to practice that sin shall not have dominion over you. And uh, so, you know, you... You, you take every opportunity to create hope uh, in the child because we all will uh, aspire or we will reach for what that which we hope for. And uh, so, you know, when our children understand that we are uh, and, and that God is in a covenant home, that God will provide them with the joy of overcoming uh, that is his will. It's God's will that we overcome these these things. And when our children get the chance and, uh, and, and our grandchildren get the chance to experience these things, even in little small steps, it's like lighting a fire in a bag of leaves. Uh, I have watched it in young people catch fire. And it's incredible. Once they get a vision for the kingdom of God, what they will do. 
Very good. Nancy, I know you're usually the one who keeps this on schedule. So we're coming to the end of the time. Do you have anything you'd like to add before we close for today? Andrea, I just feel like we could just talk for days and days. And I know we don't have time to do it right now, but I do want to thank Tim for coming. And just to, uh, you know, just a quick recap. We started the we started this conversation wanting to know how do you start getting your children if your children are entrepreneurially inclined and the answer is we train them in their character development we train them to walk in the ways of God and to be faithful to Him that's where we start and um, as we are faithful stewards He gives us increasing responsibility and opportunity to represent Him well. And um, so God bless y'all. Let's keep That's doing good. it. Um, before we close, Tim, I'm sure there are people who say, I want to talk to that man. How do they find you? Well, the prison address is <laughs> uh, they can email me at uh, tygreengate, T-Y-G-R-E-E-N-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Uh, I don't give out my phone number too often because, uh, you know, I, I, I try to schedule things where uh, I can be honorable to the commitments that I make and, and not abuse other people's time. Yeah, that's uh, fine. Sometimes that is very difficult. Right. But they can find you there. And um, the true entrepreneurs will find you. They'll find somebody who knows you or figure out how to get there. So I want to thank you, Nancy. Um, I'll see you next week and uh, God bless all our listeners. And I hope you benefited from this. I certainly did. I certainly Bye-bye. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com 